0: Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa.
1: Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today we're welcoming back once more on a very sunny day here in the city of London, Alan Green. Alan, thank you much for being on the podcast today.
0: Morning, John. Thank you. Good to be back. And it's sunny down here. On the south coast as well.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. So, obviously, bright weather outside and appearingly bright data we're seeing from the UK economy this morning. We've just had some data out this morning which is showing that the UK economy expanded uh, in the last month after a prior dip. That was mainly helped by people going on holiday and seeing a lot more in the way of leisure activities, festivals, um, eating out, and and the associated uptick in activity around that. Retail was obviously a beneficiary um, from that activity. But there is concern, Alan, from from economists, that going forward, this rebound in the economy is going to be very short-lived. And it's quite interesting to see, Yes, we're seeing a a rebound in GDP, but GDP is not yet back above pre-pandemic levels, whereas employment data we had from the UK this week did show that the level of employment is now back above pre-pandemic levels. So there's a disconnect there in those two sets of data. I mean, in your view, Alan, which way do you think these two sets of data are going to snap back up. Do you think that we, we see um, GDP snap back up to you know what the jobs data would suggest in terms of the number of people working there? Or, or is it a possibility that we've seen long-term structural changes in the economy? And yes, there's more people employed, but we're not seeing the level of, level of activity associated with this employment as we may have done prior to the pandemic.
0: I think it. I think it's probably simpler than that, John. I, I think um, that the GDP data is always going to uh, lag the jobs data in a sense, um, because of course those jobs haven't yet been filled to contribute and drive the um, drive the additional performance uh, and uh, in, improve the GDP. Um, but there is no doubt, yeah. You know, we're in a period of disruption, and I think you know you and I were talking just now. I think a lot of People are taking a view that, well, yeah, they might get back to work, but um, let's work more efficiently now. Uh, we'll go in when we need to. Why sit on the train for an hour and a half or maybe three hours both ways when you could be working online and contributing that way? So all of those factors. But I think also a lot of workers will take the view that they're going to leave until the uh, until after Christmas because um, no one quite knows just how the UK is going to fare during the winter months, and just whether uh, another strain of COVID will will arrive, or whether we can now we're all double jab, we can just get on with um, uh, with life, and and of course um, work towards that uh, that. Um, uh, 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 um, uh, immunity um, on masks that, uh, that the, the Prime Minister and the government have been, t- uh, have been talking about. Um, but one, th- one thing that did sort of uh, come to my notice this morning is that um, the, the government are urging uh, shoppers to buy normally for Christmas and they're insisting that despite all the supply chain squeezes we've seen this year there will be no shortage of gifts um, uh, uh, to buy. Um, they'll be arriving at the port. The the uh, supply chain issues that we've seen to date are being resolved and will be resolved. And um, despite the lack of truck, drive, truck drivers, um, everyone should be buying normally rather than stockpiling. So uh, that, that I guess, is in- encouraging. It depends how much you uh, believe the government and their their forecasts. And there are a lot of people that would just uh, dismiss that uh, with a contemptuous. Uh, Uh, a a snarl i'm sure but um but nonetheless the the fact is that that statement's out there and uh one hopes that um one hopes that the supply chain issues will be resolved but to your (coughs) original question if those supply chain issues are resolved those jobs are filled i'm sure we'll see the gdp data um, start to accelerate as we get towards uh, uh the end of the year
1: Indeed. And I think that's the, the, the big question at the moment. There, there's two camps here. There's, of course, the government saying that there won't be any supply chain issues going into the future. And then on the other side, you have economists saying, indeed, that there are going to be substantial supply chain uh, issues going into, you know, certainly the end of the year. So it's going to be really a story to see which one of those camps is is rights going forward so that's something that we don't know at this point in time and everybody has their view but of course we'll have to react to that as we we see it but
0: I think we, certainly was it just to go in there John the um uh, certainly, uh, there are expectations that the UK economy will uh, be the fastest growing economy within the G7 too. The the IMF put out a statement to that effect um, this week, so so that's highly significant. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure we're going to see GDP uh, accelerate um, higher towards the end, the end of the year.
1: Indeed, it would be uh, prudent to also note on that point that I think the UK is one of the the biggest fallers and contractors in terms of economy uh, during the pandemic. So one should hope that we expand faster than others on the way back if we were the fastest or one of the fastest to contract during the, the pandemic. So it's going to be all about the data and something that we're probably going to speak about a little bit later on in the podcast what this data means for the Bank of England and interest rates, because there's been a speculation around this week that they could be hiking rates sooner rather than later. But that's something that we'll probably touch on after we discuss the first company, because it's, it's highly relevant for them. And it's Barrett Developments, you know, really sort of mm. playing into this story that we're seeing. You know, a, a healthy economy, healthy expansion. They've seen uh, a very good. Uh, uptake in their in their properties and looking alan now as we speak up around six percent on the day what's uh what does that report look like
0: well it's a very strong set of numbers really Um, and but also of course we're seeing the other house builders taylor wimpy persimmon uh they're up sort of four and a half five percent uh respectively Barclay's up three percent so yeah a very strong performance but i think what's particularly interesting is that um uh, Barish said uh, it's on target to meet uh, its full-year medium-term targets, uh, although reservation rates fell, you know, uh, um, uh, due to the the uh, the the, the, um, uh, the non-repeat or non-repetition of the pent-up demand, um, and of course, uh, helped by reservations also contributed. Uh, as well, um, the Barrett's have said that they haven 't seen any significant disrupt- disruption in regard to global supply, supply problems, so clearly this is, um, this seems to be a sector specific issue rather than um, a, a, a broad issue across every every sector, which is encouraging because um, if that uh, means that the the housing construction business can get back to normal. That's going to really drive um, production. It's also going to drive GDP as well that we were discussing just now. But certainly, um, certainly, uh, uh, Barrett's have said that they're, they're, uh, the private the private sales decline of just under 3% um, is better than expected. Um, um, and uh, and looking forward, of course, um, you know, Barrett's are, are fairly bullish in their outlook. However, of course, that is dependent on, on those factors that we discussed. Which is, if there is a return, if COVID makes a return at the end of the year, if we see issues in um, if we see issues uh, in the in, in the economy and other areas that uh, are hitherto uh, um, uh, unexpected, then uh, th- there are many factors. But I think we're going to look to get through the winter, um, and uh, and then I think next year is going to be. Uh, it, it should be the year that we see the UK economy really turn, really return uh, back to firing on all four all four cylinders.
1: And one area of of the economy that that of course is doing well is is the house building sector, as we can see from the data from uh, Barretts this morning. But of course, that's highly interlinked with with interest rates, and we've seen speculation this week that the Bank of England are going to be possibly raising rates. A little bit sooner than the market may have expected, we saw some jitters uh, earlier on this week on on the back of those uh, those comments from various different uh, market participants. Looking at the the house builders, Alan, you know Taylor Wimpy, uh, Barretts here, uh, Persimmon, uh, Barclay Group, Homes. These companies are still quite a long way off of their fifty two week highs. Mm. Of course, if we see a continued you know, expansion in the economy, one would expect that the housing market moves in line with that. But how much of a factor do you think the potential rise in interest rates has in terms of derailing any potential rally back up to these highs in uh, the, the house building shares? Uh,
0: probably not as much as we might think, uh, simply because we have this that there's still a degree of pent-up demand and of course we have the um, the backlog from the stamp duty holiday still still to process so um, I think also there is uh, we we have this uh, sea change of uh, people sort of exiting the city moving out to the country so um, so I I would expect I don't expect uh, if it's a rise of a quarter of one percent or a half of 1%, I don't think that would make a huge difference right now. Um, I think longer term, of course, if uh, if um, it, it, the, the the Bank of England could certainly increase the interest rate, but a lot of lenders may decide not to pass that increase onto, onto borrowers, because there are a lot of very good mortgage deals on the market right now, and I would expect to see that uh, the, that those deals continue, because clearly, you know, the, uh, the lenders want to see uh, people come back to back into the markets and um, and to and, and and to and to, to increase sales but um, but I think overall the um, the the uh, the position for um, the house builders going forward um, I think we'll see regional variations rather than a fall off in sales overall so I don't expect to see too much uh, impact in the short term
1: indeed indeed we're, we're of course under a massive realignment of the economy and factors that you've discussed there, such as different regions seeing uh, higher house prices growth than, than others, is just one of those factors, uh, along with many other things. so we're going to be digesting this as it as it comes out, but of course, you know looking at the data today from these house builders, uh, one would say that we seem to be navigating our way out of the pandemic and, and seeing quite a strong uh, recovery there so. Of course, I mean those householders are going to be reporting over the, mm. the next week, so uh, probably going to be doing an update on next week's podcast about some more data from those, because of course they're a big bellwether for for the UK economy. They are. So, Alan, let's yeah. move on now to a company that we have discussed on the podcast previously, mainly due to. Its activities in one of the the most uh, volatile and exciting markets that we've seen so far this year of cryptocurrencies, Um, Coincilium. What's the latest update from them?
0: Okay, so I I discussed uh, Coincilium on on the weekend, and I've just um, had another uh, discussion with the chairman today, and um, it's just uh, just uh, highlighted some some interesting. a development in that sector that uh, I think uh, you know Coincelling are exposed to, and it, you know it could potentially be huge for the group. So, um, so, so announced um, a set of half-year results. Of course, Coincelling is traded currently on the aquis market. It's dual listed on the in the US on the uh, OTC uh, Venture Market. Um, Coincelling, of course, uh, Epicode is Coin. C O I N here and C I N G F in the U S um, currently has a market cap of uh, uh, just under thirteen million shares trading at um, at uh, uh, seven just over seven p um, and of course the company recently announced uh, a fundraising to fund its activities um, it raised. Uh, Raised a total of 1.1 million um, at 7.5p. So, you know, very much around the, the level at which the cash was raised. Um, at the interim results recently, uh, the company said it had um, just under 1.9 million in cash and cash equivalents on the books. And um, crypto investments, that's of course a range of tokens, of course, including Bitcoin and Ethereum. Of around two million dollars, so um, it's seen an eight hundred thousand uh, gain on its investments, um, and is very actively currently uh, growing the team and the business. Has a range of activities. Um, it's uh, the, the company, of course, uh, first floated it was the first ever blockchain company to list in two thousand fifteen, um, and it's um, it's uh, a, a, a blockchain open finance and crypto finance venture builder. Um, so, a couple of the projects it's involved in. Of course, uh, we've heard so much about NFTs this year, um, and it's building um, a, a marketplace platform, which effectively is going to be handing the picks and the shovels to for the for the marketplace to uh, to to uh, brands and people building brands. So, um, what they can do is white label effectively um the uh platform onto their own website so if you're gucci or if you're if you're um if you're a leading car manufacturer or with a with a range of accessories you, you can actually um uh, build an nft platform uh using the white label technology provided by the nifty labs uh, uh, venture in in gibraltar and that's uh, developing rapidly it, it's been tested and uh, is is um is is ticking all the boxes to date so we expect to hear more about that very shortly um the company is also engaged in an avatar project called blockbots um which is we've seen a lot of these avatar projects launched into the market over the over uh, uh, over the past few months and um and these are very successful and of course people are buying these um Buying the uh, the um, avatars and then trading them, and uh, the the blockbots uh, project um, will enable NFT holders to uh, to to uh, use the endorse token. Of course, endorse is one of the partners with the with Coincillium in building the blockbots avatar project. They'll be able to use the endorse token to trade the NFTs as well. So that's um, it. Just opens up a a, a new dimension to to this but I think most significantly um in the nft space um coin uh, the Coincilium, um, um and uh, endorse nifty labs joint venture are building effect- effectively a bridge a token bridge which will enable uh bitcoin holders to seamlessly um, uh, transact and purchase the nft using bitcoin and of course the entire nft Platform at present is is based on Ethereum and the Ethereum tokens and smart contracts. So this effectively opens up a much larger uh, opportunity for the NFT space because people can who hold Bitcoin. And I think if you took a if you took a sample of all the holders of cryptocurrency in the world, by far the biggest holding, of course, is Bitcoin. It's the most volatile. It's uh, it's 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 the most traded and it's the most recognised. Um, And we're seeing, of course, you know, uh, a lot of government backed cryptocurrency currencies entering the space on the back of of the of uh, Bitcoin's success as a as a store of value. Um, The other area and this is this is where where, this is, I think, where the real future of the entire crypto and um, blockchain industry lies. Um, Of course, uh, Coinsillium are based in Gibraltar. And Gibraltar, the Gibraltar government, they have been very proactive in, uh, in and are very uh, receptive to a um, uh, 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 crypto and uh, c- companies operating in in the space. Um, and of course, the the issue now with government-backed cryptocurrencies coming into play is the issue of regulation. Um, and uh, this is an, an area which is still um it, it's still very much in its infancy um and uh it, it moves are afoot um to put together some sort of framework or 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 uh, create a a framework um which can then be discussed and um and trialed out uh, around the world uh to in order to set um a standard infrastructure in place through which um through which companies can work and and Work with crypto um, within, uh, whilst connecting that into a normal financial environment. Um, so Coincilium made an investment into uh, um, a digital, well, a company that has applied for a license to become a digital merchant bank, and that is Green Gauge. Um, it's a, it's taken three hundred thousand pounds of the equity and supplied a further two hundred thousand in convertible loan notes. Um, and this is exciting that there, that there's a there's a bank a us bank called signature that um is very much uh, pioneering um moves into the into the the uh, the, the the crypto space and uh certainly uh, there was an article in forbes, re- forbes recently um jP morgan chase uh, issued their own um I- issued their own coin but signature actually beat them to it um and uh Created a Signet blockchain-based payment ecosystem using what he called Signets as digital dollars, um, and this is uh, just an example of a conventional merchant bank um, uh, crossing into the I- into the uh, crypto finance marketplace and the uh, and uh, creating cryptocurrency within a uh, whilst uh, seeking to um, uh, have have the um, have the the, the assets uh, backed and approved by the uh, by the financial authorities, and indeed the um, this uh, the, uh, the signature bank was the first um, insured FDIC insured bank to bring a product to market. Had the full backing of the New York State Department of Financial Services, so that was highly significant. And that was a couple of years ago. And Green are the uh, uh, Green Gauge uh, are heading in that direction certainly. With the moves they are making, they they recently um, they recently appointed um, a for, the former CEO CFO of Starling Bank as their CFO um, at uh, at Green Gage, um, and and if you consider that um, uh, banks are, are slowly moving into the space, Barclays, for example, uh, became the bankers to Coinbase. Um, even though Coinbase, of course, are operating within the space, um, so it, it it now means um, I, I think that there's an issue as well that of course banks hold huge amounts of cash um, uh, in in reserve accounts. Uh, company tre- companies, of course, hold their, their their treasury monies with with the banks, and of course, uh, cash on deposit receives, as we know, virtually no interest. So um, there will be an opportunity at some point in the future for. Um, for companies to be able to invest this these reserve sums into uh, into cryptocurrencies and other and other other uh, other sort of um, products in the marketplace, but of course those products have yet to be created. Um, but I think what's interesting is that uh, from Coincillium standpoint, they they have a very early stage investment into a bank that is looking to move in, into this arena. So in terms of valuation. Um, it could be absolutely huge going forward i mean signature have grown from uh nothing to be worth some 18 to 20 billion uh where green gauge are in that uh, in that evolutionary cycle uh, of course that they're, they're much earlier stage but um it's it's an interesting space and i think Coincilium have got a very um, early foothold into this burgeoning marketplace. As I say, currently worth just under $13 million, but I think there's, um, I think with the range of investments they have, the exposure to this market, we've all seen what Bitcoin's done over the past few weeks. Um, it's a very exciting space.
1: Indeed, in, indeed it is. A couple of points here, Alan. I mean, so first of all, looking at the, the NFTs, we've just seen news yesterday that Uh, Coinbase are going to be launching their own NFT platform to uh, try and rival OpenSea. Now, of course, with what CoinCillium are doing, offering white labels, it does suggest that the platform side of the NFT market is becoming increasingly fragmented. Is this a market that continues to be fragmented, Alan? And and can uh, platforms, white labels of, of NFT, um, platforms survive in a market if you start to see big players in the crypto side of things, such as Coinbase releasing their own NFT platforms.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and I think this is the well, it's just recognition, really, that uh, when you have a big player like Coinbase coming into the space, it's just recognition of the the sheer potential and size of the market. And uh, we've said before, I mean, yet yeah, the, the potential for the NFT market is. Is ne- it's nebulous i mean it's just it's almost unlimited because there are so many assets can be uh can be digitized and they they can be minted of course and uh and put onto the market but coinsortium have, have a very uh, they 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 said very much with the nifty labs uh uh project at the outset neversty project at the outset that it was very much the taking a picks and shovels approach to the market and Putting the NFT, but um, putting a white label NFT platform out there that can be utilised by brands, and that you know the team that are behind it. Of course, you've got to Eddie Travier who's hugely experienced, and uh, Gurang Tuvakor from uh, uh, Indorse, um, and uh, with the hackathon they've organised recently, they have access to some of the greatest minds in the world in in this space. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a competitive space. But it's competitive because it's so big, and we're still, in in evolutionary terms, we are still at the dial-up internet phase for this marketplace. It's still fragmented. the The functionality is still fairly clunky. Um, it's not uh, well. I, I think for those in the space who are used to it, it's, it's intuitive. But for new for for new users coming in for the first time, it can be. Very confusing, and I don't think the functionality on some of the platforms is as good and as easy as it could be. So we've got all this to to improve, and I think that's where that's where the uh, certainly for brands, the coin ceiling offering will will work very well.
1: So just just a final point here because it is particularly relevant given uh, what we were talking about. Now, yesterday we had J.P. Morgan boss Jamie Diamond coming out and saying Bitcoin is worthless and it's due for. Uh, significant levels of, of regulation, which my view would be uh, that we do need some regulation, and it's obviously going yeah. that way. But it I mean, yeah. does it does it make it worthless? And if it does see a significant drop in the price of, of cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin and um, uh, Ethereum and, and whatever else uh, people are trading at the moment, do we then start to move towards a, a situation where um, cryptos start to become? Uh, Less at the front of the story uh, around blockchain, and it's actually the technology then of blockchain that is the wider uh, use and, and, and is adopted more widely by businesses such as Coincilium, and then maybe the, the shift away from the focus on cryptos towards the uh, the underlying blockchain technology.
0: I, yeah, I, I think that's always been there with blockchain. I think um, I think that that you know there. When we spoke about this a few years ago, it was oh, it was cryptocurrency and blockchain, and they were one and the same. Well, actually, no. Blockchain is the mechanism uh, that uh, cryptocurrency is based on, but has a huge number of other applications. And of course, other companies in the space, such as Catni Innovation and uh, others, are using blockchain in different ways. But um, but uh, certainly on the cryptocurrency front, the uh, regulation. Is inevitable. I mean, it, it's it's um, it's coming. Government-backed cryptocurrencies, um, but it's. I mean, what Jamie Diamond said. I don't know why he said it because um, that's his opinion. And other government ministers have come out and said and said it. And it's um, it just seems to propel Bitcoin higher. And as we know, John, John, you know, a, a market uh, uh, consists of buyers and sellers, and you've got people both sides of the trade. Um, And some some will take the view that Bitcoin is going to be four to five hundred thousand pounds of coin in a few years time and others say it's worthless. So that in itself creates a market. Um, So, yeah, we're going to see corrections. We're going to see more volatility. That's the nature of the beast. But um, the trend still is up. And, um, I mean, let's face it, it's outperformed everything else over the past few years.
1: It has indeed, and certainly a fascinating market to be watching going into the end of the year. So just to recap there on the equities that we discussed today, we discussed the house builders of in particular Barrett Developments with trading under a ticker of BDEV, and just then around the discussion of NFTs and Bitcoin was Coincillion, which trades on the Aquis Exchange in London under the ticker of COIN. Alan, thank you much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, John. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast, and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player.